that holiness of God about which we just sang is the attribute of God that we are going to look at this morning. So I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 99 as we look at the holiness of God today. Two weeks ago, we talked about God's wrath as one of his attributes and noted that God's wrath is connected to his holiness and his righteousness and justice. We could not have a holy God. We could not have a God who is a right judge, who is a right standard, apart from him being a God of wrath. And what that simply means, God being a God of wrath, is simply this, that God hates sin. God hates everything that runs contrary to who he is, to his person, in all of his attributes. If God didn't hate sin, he would not be holy and righteousness. His very character demands wrath towards sin. And we noted two weeks ago that as a Christian, we as Christians will not face God's wrath. The reason being is that God took his one and only son and sent him to earth, as we're going to celebrate in a few weeks, to be born of a virgin so that he could, as 100% God, as 100% man, live a sinless life and then Pay the price for sin. God poured out his wrath towards sin upon the person of Jesus Christ so that each and every one of us who put our trust in Christ would never face the wrath of God. That's what he has done for us. Now, God's wrath is sure to come. And one day, all those who stand in rejection of the person of Jesus Christ will face God's wrath. Today we look to this integral attribute of God that cannot be separated from the wrath of God. That is God's holiness. Next week we will look at his righteousness and justice. To say that God is holy simply means this. God is completely set apart from all sin. For God to be holy, it means that he is set apart from all sin. The other side of that coin is that God is absolute purity. He is set apart from sin in absolute purity. God being holy means that he's set apart from sin, he reigns in absolute purity and seeks his own glory. Now, it's hard for us to grasp the concept of absolute purity. I used to be a beekeeper in junior high and high school and college. And over the years, as I had my bees, I sold over 2,000 pounds of honey that I used to bottle and I'd put a sign out on Highway 191 between Council Bluffs and Underwood, Iowa, where I lived, 
and I sold honey. And on my labels that I had printed up, it said, pure honey. Now, if you would go to the FDA website and look up the definition of pure honey, you would find that according to the FDA, that pure honey needs to be free of heavy metals by amounts that become hazardous to health and not to exceed the maximum limits of pesticide and veterinary drugs. So it's pure in quotation marks. It's mostly pure. It's sort of pure. In fact, I can't think of anything in this world in which we live that's absolute purity. We certainly know it's not our water. And there's no such thing as an absolutely pure diamond. There's nothing that's totally pure. We can't comprehend absolute purity. Except for God. He's absolutely pure. He's completely set apart from all sin. He reigns in absolute purity. And that's what it means when we say that God is holy. So this morning as we look at Psalm 99 and Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3 as we begin, we want to note that simple truth that, that God being holy means that he's set apart from sin. He reigns in absolute purity and seeks his own glory. As we come to Psalm 99, we find the psalmist calling the readers of this psalm, the listeners of this psalm, to praise. In fact, the first five verses, he calls those listening to this psalm to praise God because he is holy. I'll read the first five verses. The Lord reigns, let the people tremble. He's enthroned above the cherubim, let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion, he's exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name, holy is he. The strength of the king loves justice, you've established equity, you've executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, holy is he. Here the psalmist is picturing God enthroned inside the temple in Jerusalem. Remember, as the temple was first erected, God's glory shone in the temple as it was dedicated to the Lord. And Israel literally felt, knew that God dwelled in their midst. Inside that temple was an inner room called the holy place, and inside of that was the holy of holies, in which the Ark of the Covenant rested. And above the Ark of the Covenant, according to 1 Kings chapter 6, verses 23 through 28, were cherubim that were carved and laid over with stone, these angelic creatures. And it tells us here, that God is enthroned above the cherubim. The, the psalmist is picturing God's presence above the Ark of the Covenant, above these cherubim with outstretched arms wings. And down in verse 5 it says, calls 
the people to worship at his footstool. The footstool is a reference to the Ark of the Covenant. As the psalmist pictures God, if God could have human form, God would be enthroned above the cherubim that stood upon the cover of the Ark, and the Ark would be God's footstool. And as the psalmist pictures God reigning in absolute purity... He calls upon the hearers of this psalm to praise Him. Why? Verse 3, Let them praise your great and awesome name. God, in all of your character, in all of your attributes, you deserve to be praised. Holy is He. He's completely set apart from sin. He reigns in absolute purity, seeking glory. Down in verse 5, it says, Exalt the Lord our God, worship at His footstool, holy is He. And then the psalmist closes in verse 9, Exalt the Lord our God, worship at His holy hill, most likely a reference to Zion, the mount upon which the temple rested. For holy is the Lord our God. God's holiness means that He's completely separate from all sin. He reigns in absolute purity, thus deserving the praise of His people. As we come to Isaiah chapter 6, we are reminded in this great chapter that we've looked at before of the calling of Isaiah to be God's prophet. And Isaiah 6 records for us a vision of the throne room of God. And we're brought into the throne room of God in this great vision. It tells us in verse 1, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of His robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above Him. The Hebrew word translated seraph, refers to like a concept of to burn. Evidently, these seraphim, these angelic beings, very likely had a fiery appearance. And the verse goes on and tells us that each having six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. So they're there in, in humbleness, covering their feet and faces, and with two wings, They're flying, and they are calling out to each other the words of verse 3. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. In the Hebrew language, when when they wanted to, in this culture, wanted to stress something, they would repeat it over and over. And when when the seraphim say, Holy, 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 Holy is the Lord of hosts. They are saying He reigns in absolute holiness, complete holiness. We see another example of this type of repetition here in the book of Isaiah in the 26th chapter, the third verse. And in Isaiah 26.3, we're very familiar with this verse. Many of us have kept it to memory. It says, The steadfast of mind... You will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. And in English, we translate it perfect peace. In Hebrew, this verse could be translated, the steadfast of mind, you will keep in peace, peace, 
because he trusts in you. It's actually the word peace repeated. You see, they're trying to say perfect peace, just like here in Isaiah 6 verse 3, when it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He said, he is completely holy. He is completely set apart from any aspect of sin. He is absolute purity. It's hard for us to grasp the concept of absolute purity. We can't fathom that. But in Psalm 99, the psalmist says a proper response to absolute purity is praise. He calls his readers, because God reigns in absolute purity, there's no sin in him at all, he deserves us to lift him up above ourselves in praise. Here in Isaiah 6, absolute purity is a call to confession of sin. As Isaiah witnessed this vision of God upon the throne reigning in absolute purity, his first reaction in verse 5 is to say, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, God's holiness demands a response. And we see in Psalm 99 that one proper response to God's holiness is praise, lifting Him up above ourselves. Another response to the holiness of God is confession of sin. Remember with me that when we talk about praise... We're talking about something different than thanks. When we thank God, we are still the subject of thanksgiving. God, thank you for providing for me. God, thank you for healing me. God, thank you for providing uh, for the needs of our family. It's still centered on me. But when we praise God, we lift him up above ourselves, and praise occurs in a declarative statement about who God is. God, you are holy, like we sang this morning. God, you are a right judge. God, you are a God who loves me unconditionally. And here, the psalmist is asking us to respond to God's holiness by declaring praise to Him. You are worthy of my praise. You are, you reign in absolute purity. I've never been to the Grand Canyon. Many of you probably have, but I've never been there. My, my parents lived in Phoenix for six or seven years, but I never made it to the Grand Canyon. My sister is gone. She lives in Scottsdale, and she's hiked to the bottom and back out. But I've never been there, but I'd like to see it. As I hear people describe it, it sounds like it is a splendorous thing. Now, me, an Iowa boy, if I would go to the Grand Canyon and look out at that vast expanse, and say something to the effect of, well, what's the big deal? We have holes in Iowa. 
if I would respond that way, it would say that I'm really not looking or else I'm too stubborn to acknowledge the splendor of that canyon. When we look at the holiness of God, if we are not responding to it, it either means that I'm not looking, or in my own stubbornness, I'm not willing to acknowledge it. Because when we actually look, as Scripture unveils, the absolute purity of God. It should result in us either praising Him and or confessing our own sin. Isn't it easy for us to look at someone else and say, hey, man, that guy's really a sinner, and not really come to grips with the sin that resides in my own heart? But when I compare myself to God, who's completely set apart from sin, who reigns in absolute purity, then when I compare myself to Him, I can see the sin in my own life. You see, when we're willing to actually see God, as the Bible unfolds Him before us, it causes us to respond either in praise and lifting him above ourselves and or in confession of sin. God's holiness demands a response on our part. And one of the things that we want to look at here in the minutes that remain is this response. We are to either respond in praise or we are to respond in confession of sin. And in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see a third call, a third proper way for us to respond to this attribute of God, this, this attribute of holiness, this truth about God that he's set apart from all sin, that he reigns in absolute purity and seeks his own glory. To see this thread unfold in the Old and New Testament of this third response on our part to the holiness of God, I encourage you to turn with me to the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus, chapter 19. Chapter 19 is all about holiness. It's all about God calling on Israel to live rightly, to live set apart from sin. We see the foundation to the entire chapter in verse 2, when it says, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. It's a call to holiness. God says, you are my followers, I am charging you to walk in holiness, to be holy, because I am a holy God. What we see unfold here in chapter 19 is a launching pad for truth that goes all the way to the New Testament. Because God 
charges his followers to holiness because he is holy, but also because his people belong to him. Notice with me Leviticus 19 verse 36. He's saying, be right in your everyday affairs. Walk in holiness. Verse 36, you shall have just balances, just weights, a just effa, a just hin. In other words, he's saying, businessman, you need to deal rightly with your clients. Your scales need to be right. You don't shouldn't be cheating people. Why? Because I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt. And that unfolds in a theme that runs all the way through our Bibles that God purchased his people out of bondage. For Israel, he purchased them out of bondage to Egypt. Peter will pick up this theme in 1 Peter 1 and teach us that we too have been purchased out of bondage. bondage. Therefore, we are to live holy lives. Turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We have said that God's holiness demands a response. We saw in Psalm 99 that God's holiness demands a response of praise. Isaiah 6, God's holiness demands a response of praise and confession of sin. And now we are looking at a third response to God's holiness, and that is that we too need to live set-apart lives. Why? Because we are purchased people. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter's talking about living out our salvation. In chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Live out your salvation in expectancy for Jesus' return. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then in verses 14 through 21, he says, Live out your salvation in holiness, in holy behavior. For example, verse 14, don't be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Don't live your life the way you lived it before you became a Christian. When you became a Christian, you put your trust in the person of Jesus Christ. He changed you. You're a new creation. Don't live your life as you did before you became a Christian. Notice verse 15, but like the Holy One who called you... Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter actually quotes several passages out of the book of Leviticus, where God said, You be holy, for I am holy. Now notice verses 18 and 19. He not only says, Be holy because I'm holy, He also does that on the basis of the fact that we are purchased people. Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished, spotless, the blood of Christ. So Peter is saying this. We are to respond to the holiness of God by personal holiness. Why? Because God is holy and because he has purchased us. 
He has the right to demand holiness from us because he bought us. Not with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 is the beginning of a series of verses that reminds us that just as God is holy, we are to walk in holiness, but we don't do it on our own strength. God doesn't save us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and then call us to live out our Christian life in our own power. God saves us by grace and then he equips us by grace to live for him. In other words, God is actively at work in the life of every Christian, helping each and every one of us live out this Christian life, to walk in holiness. One of the ways he does that is found for us here in Hebrews 12. If you look at Hebrews 12, verse 10, it says, For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, referring to our earthly parents. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. So it's saying that one of the ways God is actively involved in us progressively becoming more holy, more set apart from sin, is discipline. When God sees things in your life and in my life that shouldn't be there, areas of sin with which we have become complacent, he disciplines us, just like an earthly father disciplines us, to get our attention, to realize that that area of our life has to be released under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Notice verse 14. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. The word sanctification is a translation of a Greek word that's from the same word group as the word holy. It means set apart from sin. So here, the author of Hebrews is saying we're supposed to pursue the sanctification. Notice the little article the in front of the word sanctification. It's saying, it's referring back to what he's just said in verse 10. We are to be pursuing that holiness that God is at work doing in our lives, even if it calls upon him to bring discipline in our life. The passage that Homer read at the beginning of the service in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, is it's in the context of marriage comparing the love of a husband for his wife as Jesus loved the church. And in verse 25, it says, Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, set her apart, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself... The church, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. You see, God is at work in your life and my life as Christians in helping us, enabling us by his grace so that our lives will be marked by holiness too. In Leviticus, we read that God 
purchased. He, he brought Israel out of bondage. And first Peter, Peter carries on that theme and said, we've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. We belong to God. He bought us. He is holy. Therefore, we are to pursue holiness in our own life. Many years ago, uh, my parents moved from Iowa to the edge of New York City into a town in, on the Jersey side called Essex Fells, New Jersey. And my father was the president of a college there for years while I was at Dallas Seminary. And the first time I ever went to New York City was with Barbara, and we went to visit my, my parents And one of the trips that we took was to Arlington Cemetery. I had never seen it before. Arlington Cemetery has somewhere between 300 and 400,000 plus graves. Many of whom are the graves of men and women who died in active service for their country. In military service. And it's a sobering thing. I found it very sobering to look out over those acres and acres and acres of white markers. And to think about the price that was paid for our freedom. It would probably be a good thing for each of us to make regular trips to Arlington Cemetery. Because it's easy to forget. You know, it's easy for us to forget what Jesus did for us and his death that purchased us freedom. That's one of the reasons why Jesus charged us to regularly observe communion, to take the bread and the cup, so that we would not forget that he died for us. And Peter says when he dined for us, he actually purchased us. He bought us. Not with gold or silver. He bought us with the blood of Jesus Christ. This morning we are focusing on the attribute of God that he is holy. We've defined that as God being set apart from all sin. And on the other side of that same coin, he reigns in absolute purity, seeking his glory. We've also stated that his holiness demands a response. If we actually see his holiness, it either calls us to praise him, Lifting him, lifting him up above ourselves, and or it calls us to confession of sin. Because when we actually see God's purity and compare our life with Him and not somebody else, we don't look so good. When we compare my heart to God's heart, then I see the sin that so easily takes up resonance in my heart that, that I can become so easily accustomed to thinking, well, it's not that big of a deal. And we are called in the Old Testament and New Testament with this charge 
to be holy because he is holy, to confess our sin, and then to choose to walk in holiness. We can't do it in our own strength. We're not saved by grace and set apart to God by our own works. That's why John in 1 John chapter 3, I'll just read it quickly. That's why John in 1 John 3 wrote this. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. You see, we have a responsibility too to say no to sin, to actually compare our lives with God's purity and not somebody else, and then confess our sin when we see it. God reigns in absolute purity. There's no sin in Him at all. He is a holy God. Because He is holy, it demands our praise. It calls us to confess our sin. And it's a charge to each of us as purchased people by the blood of Jesus Christ to walk in holiness ourselves. Because God's holy we are to be set apart from sin. You may be here today, and you don't know how you stand with God. You don't know if you are going to face God's wrath or not. I would encourage you, don't leave today without knowing that your sin is paid for. Right behind you in the back of this room is a room called our prayer room. One of our elders will be back there, one of our leaders here at Faith Bible Church, and I would encourage you, if you don't know if your sin has been paid for or not, to go back and just visit for a few minutes with one of our elders. They actually have some material they can send with you, and you can look up in your own Bible verses that show you how you can know for sure who Jesus is, that he died for you, how you can put your trust in him and know that your sins have been paid for so that you can be in right relationship with God. Or you may be here today and you are burdened. I encourage you to go back and spend some time praying in the prayer room. Maybe you need to confess some sin. God's holiness is sobering because of God's wrath. But when we see that Jesus took God's wrath upon himself to pay the price for our sin, we recognize that we stand, when we put our trust in him, as purchased people. That we belong to him, that he bought us with his blood. And it calls us to praise him, to confess sin and to set ourselves apart to him in holiness. Father, we thank you for these verses and pray that you would remind us that we are purchased people by the blood of Jesus. Help us not to be complacent with sin, but to look to you who reigns in absolute purity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.